0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Use Guys in That podcast, powered by AgorasNexus.com. The Decimation of Your Asshole on Horseback is yet back for another episode. Uh, don't forget to check out Fairly Decent Golf, my our friend Bobby and um, his brand. Uh, please check it out, especially if you're into golf. Uh, it would be wonderful uh, to throw him some likes and just check out what he's doing. It's just all around great fun. He's a wonderful human being and he's our friend. And I like to help my friends, so check him out, please. Uh, today. A little bit of a diversion from what we normally do, which is more of the same. Um, and we're going to give you a walk down um, history lane, but specifically about a, a, a remarkable character in history that those of us are at least vaguely familiar with this individual. Um, but I'm sure that today you're going to learn things that you didn't know. And even on top of that, I think that you're going to find yourself maybe entertaining a, a totally different opinion of this um Amazing character in history, like Dan Carlin says, history kind of ruined fiction for him because it's just so much more interesting. Um, it hasn't ruined it for me just yet, but um, you know, there's there's a few classics out there that will always grab my attention. But this is going to be a phenomenal show. I have a good friend of mine here, uh, Dave, who is a um, I, I wouldn't even call him an amateur historian. He is a he is a, a fan of history. He he's a big fan of the person that we're going to talk about, and that person is napoleon bonaparte okay and we're gonna get through his life the victories but the lasting impact he has had on history maybe to the point where you're not aware of it and how it's around you so with that being said dave i would like you to take it away talk to us about the emperor talk up talk to us about kind of his start you know how he moves through history the massive impact, we'll talk about some of the battles, like we we're gonna talk about Austerlitz, for example, also known as the Battle of the Three Emperors. We're gonna cover a lot of good stuff today, but let's get started with the Emperor. Dave, the floor is yours. You guys in that podcast are happy to have you. Please take it away.
1: Outstanding, thank you for, uh, for reaching out to me. Uh, I know you guys have a, uh, a varied palette uh, of materials. And I I know JP you're 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 quite the fan of history yourself, and I know that you're trying to reach your target audience of all five six seven listeners out there, and uh, <laughs> we talked about this. We could just get maybe two or three of them to like this subject. I mean, you know, if you have one fan, and then you have a second fan, you increased your your followership by one hundred percent, right? So. Maybe we can get a a couple people to uh, be interested in in history as a result of our uh, machinations here, right? Sounds good. All righty. Well, um, I was sitting on an article, and I finally looked at it after we had talked about doing this. Uh, It was a New York Times opinion piece, and I did not like their opinion. This is from just a couple years ago, (laughs) 2021. And it was a lady who wrote... Napoleon isn't a hero to celebrate, and she starts off by explaining that as a black woman of Haitian descent, how can you anybody celebrate Napoleon? Uh, uh, Haiti had a, a black, charismatic, intelligent leader who could defeat his enemies in the battlefield, and then he could lead his people from slavery. And how could that evil, nasty, dwarfs Corsican common press down, squash that independence and reinstate slavery and take this all away from his fellow Frenchmen. All kinds of accusations about how evil Napoleon was. Um, I want you to uh, not read the article on purpose because it quotes from a uh, fairly recent book that I've heard about um, because it got brought up in a purely negative light for how awful it was, how incorrect the reporting was, how out of left field, I mean, you know, uh, Napoleon uh, used the people from Atlantis to kill the Haitians—kind of crazy talk. So, just, just weirdness. So, I don't want you to read her article, but it's a current article, it's a pertinent article, and it it goes on about why we shouldn't celebrate this man, why we shouldn't, uh, you know, look at him. But uh, one thing that's happening a lot of days is. Someone gets elected. Someone gets put in a position of power. Someone represents this massive company. And someone goes and says, yeah, well, in junior high, you took this one picture and it's very offensive and we don't like you anymore. And we have to shut that person down. Mm-hmm. So this is a man that lived a couple hundred years ago. And we're all raised in a time when the slavery is an awful idea. We know it's still out there in the shadows. But back then it was common and, and widespread and And the, the study history is to not judge these people with what we know, you know, by the standards and situations of today. We've got to judge them in the time frame that they lived in, right? So nowadays, you know, we talk about George Washington and you know, the new you get the new quarter yet. It's got it doesn't have the nice, thin leader of our nation, George Washington, and it's got the fatter, older, I'll free my slaves on my deathbed, George Washington on it, doesn't it, right? Um, one of my favorites is uh, Bill Cosby because I grew up thinking he was the greatest thing ever. Turns out maybe not so great, huh? But I still, when his bit comes on for my kids, I let him listen to his comedy routine from the 60s and 70s because it's funny stuff. So let's not judge Napoleon by what we know today, right? So I'm going to ask you, uh, what do the United States Civil War, and Egypt, and Louisiana, and South Africa, and Mexico, and miniature toy soldier models, all have, oh, Habsburgs, and Jews, and Muslims, what do these all have in common?
0: You know what? I already what? know the answer, but you're I, I going to tell to. I'm
1: prompting you. I'm prompting you. Who, who is the... Common thread. I'm gonna say Napoleon. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent work. You get a, a prize. Um, <laughs> here's a paper clip. I'll mail it to you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Anytime, anytime, man. Uh so so uh let's start with Egypt. Okay, because if you want to study antiquities, you want to study three thousand year old culture, right? Mm-hmm. So um uh uh napoleon was uh was a up-and-comer he was he had just after the revolution he had been sent to italy smashed all of his foes did fantastic things for the french regime uh but he was way too cool and way too popular way too successful and they said we gotta get rid of this guy let's send him to egypt that'll be great uh so why would the french after the revolution be interested in egypt because in the seven years war what what we call the french and indian war here in the in the states the french lost canada to the british they lost key caribbean islands not haiti but key caribbean islands to the british they lost half of india to the british arthur wellesley a guy come back into the napoleonic story uh fighting for the british helped kick the french out of india so they wanted to send him to Egypt to look for this canal, this ancient canal they had heard rumors of and stories about. Um, and the, the British had to go all the way around to South Africa and then go back up to get to India. So if the French could figure out where this canal was, they could send guys over there in a hurry. They could filter trade towards France at this time. Uh, there was this special canal Remember, I looked it up, JP, it's called the Ever Given. That was the boat that just last year, two years ago, completely went sideways in the Suez Canal. Mm -hmm. All the, oh, you weren't going to get your Amazon gifts in time for Christmas and all this fun stuff forever. It was a big, terrible thing. That's the canal they were looking for. They were going to dig that out. Took the British until like the 1950s to dig it out and make it useful. But that was the canal they were looking for. So, so they sent him, uh, the man didn't travel lately, he brought 300 ships, 40,000 soldiers, and the old world's only printing press that printed in Arabic, and he brought 150 scientists with him. He brought scientists interested in history and geology, and he brought the freaking French zookeeper with him, and a chemist and a mathematician okay French Republic at this time was kind of trying to stylize itself as the new Rome and they were gonna go to Egypt like Alexander and uh and conquering the uh, the known world for the west you know uh Napoleon on those 335 ships brought his entire library with them okay this little voyage that they sent brought the largest number of westerners or europeans into the islamic world since the Crusades, since the 1200s like richard the lionheart would go on a crusade and send all his little guys with horses and spears and stuff down to, to take back the holy land so the 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 islamic lands they didn't they turned their back on europe they didn't care about the europeans you know so this was the first real european contact with them okay So these guys that he brought with them started finding all these ancient things, right? So much that had been forgotten that they found and discovered, even the Egyptians didn't know what it meant or how it meant. And they founded this Institute for Egypt in this building. And actually it it just burned down in 2011 because there was a accident during the Arab spring when some flares or road flares or something got put on the roof and it burned down and they were all very sad about it, but whatever. But But he, he fought the rulers of Egypt who were, um, you know, kind of the they were actually from the Ottoman Empire, and he 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 defeated them, and he instituted, you know, fair elections, a modern government, you know, and he used that only Arabic printing press, you know, and uh, and uh, and and he he fought there in 1798 to like 1800. But he heard that back in. France stuff wasn't going so well so he kind of did a he's like a, you know i'm just gonna go up the nile I'll, uh, i gotta go check i think the iron on. i'll be right back and he went back to france so by then the british and the ottomans had, and they, they fought and the, the guys were dying of plague and everything so they were able to defeat the french left over in um, in egypt and one of the things that was in the contract was they have to give up all the loot that they had gotten whatever they hadn't already carted off to france so that's how the British ended up with the Rosetta Stone because the, the the French had discovered it and they made copies of it and they investigated it and, it and it had Greek writing on it and then hieroglyphics below it. It was a stone commemorating some date or time or something. But since it had Greek, like we hear on this date, something, 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 you know, under the full moon of August, we, we said this and then it had it in hieroglyphics. So they were like, well, this must mean full moon of August. And this must mean we must commemorate. And from that stone, they figured out all of the hieroglyphics and able to interpret them from them. So if Napoleon wasn't clever enough to bring these guys with them, we wouldn't have, we would have been way harder to figure out uh, the, the Egyptian language. Someone would have figured it out eventually. But anyway, but this was a two-way street with Napoleon. He brought back all of these fun things, but he brought all this modernity to, is that a word? Uh, modern, modernity, modernity. Modern, they modernized. There you go. Uh, Egypt with, uh, and like I said, the, the printing press. You know, we're crying a loud, like, wow, what a great idea! We don't have to have some guys writing all this down. So, so he goes back to France. Um, he's on a big upheaval in, in France, and the and the French Republic government just becomes that the council of three guys, right, and that gives. Napoleon, huge amounts of of power in France, right? So now we're gonna go back to our buddy in Haiti. So Haiti was a French colony. Like I said, seven years war, they lost a bunch of these important colonies. Two thirds of all French overseas trade came from Haiti to France. So like at the time, I I heard uh, 40% of all of Europe's sugar came from Haiti. 60% of Europe's coffee was grown in Haiti in like 1800. This are still growing coffee in Haiti today. That's like one of their only things they're able to still grow there. So in Haiti was this guy, my screensaver, Toussaint Louverture. Uh, he was a French revolutionary who led a, a slave uprising in, in Haiti at the same time as the revolution. You know, liberty because liberty, revolution, end of slavery. You know, let's let's make uh, let's make the, the Haiti great again. Okay. Two hundred thousand people died out of like a population of 500,000. They really killed each other. They were really good at it. Um, they, the, the there was a very, very low white population in Haiti at the time and they were super oppressive over the slave population. They, they couldn't wait they couldn't wait to get their hands on these whites and kill them all but they were so oppressive it was it wasn't you know it was like you know what, whatever we're just killing our oppressors here. it's okay. So, but since so many lives were lost, it was a huge loss of production from France's key colony. So they lost a ton of production right after the revolution when they had no money, and they were fighting the whole world because the French had killed all their their king, and they were surrounded by countries controlled by kings. So all the kings were like, "We got to stop these guys." So this uh, Toussaint guy. Made a Haitian constitution. Okay, all right. Why is he such a? Why was Napoleon such a bad guy and this Toussaint such a great guy? Well, Toussaint wanted freedom for those slaves. Okay, sounds good. Well, he also said that, but that is an agricultural country, so agriculture must continue. No strikes, no work stoppages, no slowdowns. He kind of made it slavery, but not in name. You know, like, like, oh, we're not slaves now. Yeah, but you'll work till you die. <laughs> well, we're not slaves. should keep working you know uh and and even after the revolution he wanted Haiti to be solely catholic and and there was going to be no divorce there was going to be a special court for just the church and a special court for just the police because as we know in this day and age the you know I don't know I heard a lot about drag queens but I really have seen an awful lot about uh priests touching little boys still still kind of a thing yeah Uh, they're doing a fine job all by themselves they need no oversight whatsoever right (laughs) right yeah also uh Toussaint wanted absolute power for himself and to be able to name his successor okay kind of sounds like a king doesn't it right well in France they were like we have we have religious freedom now you can do whatever you want." Uh, you can get divorced if you want. We recognize these these kind of things, you know? Uh, let, let's not get excited because Emperor Napoleon comes along later in the story anyway, but he like went to the people, he went to the councils and they went to the people, the powers that be and said, you know, I, I could do more if I can. was emperor, if it's okay with you guys. He didn't just come out and say, I'm going to be emperor until they, the Pope was there and he grabbed the crown and put it on his head himself. Uh, speaking of guys putting crowns on their heads and special little hats a uh, prince sausage fingers from uh, great britain just crowned himself king right mm-hmm. egypt is is like hey uh, now that you're king and all how about you give us back that rosetta stone that you kind of claimed for yourself all those years ago we kind of like to would put it in our egypt museum because we're egypt you know so there's pressure on him to Return the looted treasures from foreign lands, which I think is a good thing. But anyway, way back in, in 1800 uh, with Napoleon, uh, the constitution from Haiti was kind of presented to France. I got a piece of paper right here. Like, here, take this. This You're going to take it. And this is how we're going to run Haiti. And so it kind of seemed like an order against the mother country. You know, You know, you will accept my authority in this land. And uh, so there was also French officials that were sent there. You know, what's, how are you guys running your little show over here? So uh, Toussaint sent them back. They're going to find out too much over here. We don't want them to know what we're doing. And so the, the, uh, the French decided, you know, whatever he's doing, we should go look at. So they, so they sent, uh, what did they send? They sent like a, uh, some dudes and like, I don't know. They sent like 20,000 guys over there and a bunch of ships and they, they kind of surrounded because Haiti is half of Hispanola there, the Island. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were like, you know, let's, let's go see what they're doing there. So they were out of Napoleon's touch. Uh, he gave them explicit instructions. In fact, in a rebuttal to that crazy book I told you about at the, at the beginning that I'm not even going to tell you who wrote it or how because I don't even want anyone to waste their time looking for it. Right. Um, he had specific instructions and, and and this this guy from the Napoleonic Society in this podcast I was listening to, like, read them off. Like, you will do this, you will do that. You will, you will investigate to see if these Haitians are, you know, trying to usurp power away from the French or if they're trying to, you know, become their own independent place because we kind of want to keep them under our umbrella well the the guy leading the mission just was like right, and as soon as he got there, like the first town they you know they came up the docks they lit the whole town on fire, killed everybody, and then just went downhill from there um they didn't um you know they didn't they didn't uh come in on the right foot there and then of course tucson and the and the Haitians were like. These guys are here to oppress us and make us slaves again. And they fought back just as hard. The French controlled the, the coast and the waterways and cut off all, all contact between Haitians and the outside world. And their tactic was to drown all their prisoners. And the Haitians were in the interior and, and they were so up about their Catholic religion that they burned all, all their enemies because they wanted to watch them go straight to hell from the fires that they created for them needless to say it didn't end well for all those people it was just bad 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 but the uh the, the eventually you know um uh eventually the french you know camped down and caught uh you know tamped down the rebellion and caught toussaint sent him back to france i think he died of like uh the flu in some you know uh ancient castle or something in the south of france or something ridiculous like that but but uh the whole idea about napoleon being a racist and clamping down on on uh you know tucson he was he was busy you know napoleon at the time was in france in charge of 30 million people uh jp we went over this there was less than five thousand black people in France at that time. Mm-hmm. It's like 002 percent of the population. Okay, so you know there the was there was a lot of reasons why they um, they clamped down on the people in Haiti, but it was so far removed from what what Napoleon was talking about. Uh, he was real busy in eighteen hundred. In fact, they had eighty thousand. An army of eighty thousand on the on the coast, they were getting ready to invade Great Britain. He was way more worried about Great Britain. He knew Great Britain was his biggest enemy. Um, but uh, there was this fight that was brewing between these other kings that Napoleon had to go and take care of. And it starts with A and it ends with Z, and it kind of sounds like Clausewitz. Uh, you alluded to it earlier, JP. You remember what that? Yes, that I sure one? do.
0: That's, uh, we're talking about the Battle of the Three Emperors, also known as the Battle, Battle of Austerlitz, which took place yes. in, in Austria, yeah. in the Empire of Austria.
1: So, so Haiti was like on the back burner, like, like, like the back burner on the stove on the back porch. He wasn't, that wasn't the focus of his intent. He had all of Russia and Austria to, um to reckon with at that time to keep France from falling. So did you have some questions about uh,
0: Austerlitz? I sure do. Why is it considered or cited rather as a tactical masterpiece like uh, the oh. Battle of Cannae for example? It is it is taught to this day in military oh. colleges across the
1: planet. Well, so it's fun because Napoleon like I said he had an entire army ready to go to go invade Britain, all right? Everybody knew it. So the Austrians and the Russians were going to come on down the other way. Um, he turned everybody around and and sent them uh, to the the east rather than to the west to the coast. In fact, um, I think on the way there was this town of Ulm and there was an army of like thirty thousand Austrians and like they showed up at nine a.m. and by like ten thirty all thirty thousand of them had surrendered because. They started the fight, and then they went up to the Austrians and were like, by the way, look over your shoulder. That's just more Frenchmen. And 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 half of the French army had already gotten in around behind them. And they just were just completely surrendered an entire army in an afternoon before the Battle of Austerlitz even started. Napoleon's method was the route of march, you know? Oh, I've got to get on I-80, and I've <laughs> got to drive to Toledo, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh if I bring 80,000 guys, you know, on horseback cuz they didn't have cars back then, on horseback with the horses towing the wagons and the horses towing the um cannons and the horses towing the uh bullets and the powder and, uh, and the potatoes, mm-hmm. everything we need. That's a lot. And then they also need to, everybody's got to bring their gun and their backpack and their uh, their bag to put loot in everywhere we go. So he had roots of march. He would say, okay, you take your core, he organized them into cores, and said, you take yours on Route 2 up by Lake Erie, and I'll take the main group, the most of the guys, down I-80, straight towards Toledo, and then JP, you take your guys, and you take 250, just straight to Norwalk, and keep on going east, you know, or west, or whatever, toward right." so he, he he was able to, like, be the logistics guy, before everyone thought that logistics were really that important. Also, uh, um, one of his greatest things was the march to the sound of the guns. They were all, if they were all marching parallel to each other towards the common point. And, you know, JP over there on 250 starts running into Prussians or something. We'll hear those cannons. So we Mm -hmm. can turn our line of march and all of a sudden show up on the doorstep during the middle of the fight. So, These, I mean, this is crazy. We talked about history, judging history from what we already knew before. These sound like really, really simple things, but back then it was like, you know, you can't do this. You couldn't pull this off. You know, my dad had a a book. uh, It it, it was a like a math book from when he was in high school, and he wished he kept it because it it, big section on how they were mathematically going to prove man could never get to the moon. He wished (laughs) he had that book up to his dying day he wished he still had that book um but but you know it's like you can't you can't just take eighty thousand men and make them march across europe well napoleon did uh, another fun little nugget is that the uh you ever go out after christmas and all the christmas trees are on the curb and then like three weeks later there's another batch of christmas trees because the greek orthodox haven't celebrated christmas yet mm-hmm. because they're celebrating their holidays on the greek orthodox calendar the gregorian calendar the russians were on that gregorian calendar so when they got together with the austrians and made a pact and said we'll meet by november the 15th and the russians said you bet oh no Well, the austrians showed up and they were like where the fuck are the russians (laughs) people had two weeks man they weren't they weren't late they were right they were just on the wrong calendar so by the time Ulm happened and he, he he begged all those austrians the austrians were begging the russians can you kind of mm-hmm. hurry it up with bringing your guys here because we said we were going to kick his ass and now we're hanging in the breeze so by the time the russians and the austrians finally got together um napoleon had already picked his battlefield and gotten it all figured out and then the Austrians were like, well, we'll kind of send our guys that way. And you guys go this way. And the Russians said, yeah, we'll kind of go this way. Mm-hmm. And, and Napoleon thought of the whole army. How, how's, how's everyone going to be? And where are they going to be? And how are can I going maximize this? Right. So he saw there were roads um, cutting through the battlefield. Uh, so one of the things he did was he said, that, that, that road is like cutting a piece of pie we can eat this piece of pie okay and then there's another road and a farm over here and if we push up between that farm and the garden we can eat this piece of pie and then also he was he was always the master of artillery so artillery really became big in the napoleonic wars so he positioned his cannons where they could do the you know the the, the Russians thought they were smart there was this big rise and then they put all their dudes on top of the rise well, his guns were on the other side and they just pounded the top of that rise before the Russians even began to get engaged with the French. So he did a lot of things that people were unexpected mm-hmm. not for the, the wrong calendar. You're off by two weeks on when you're supposed to meet before a battle, you know, against, against what turned out to be the greatest military mind of the age. Things did not go well for the Austrians and, and Russians and oh. uh, yeah also um it was right after he he came to power like December 3rd 1802 or something and then this was this battle was fought on December 3rd 1803 so there was kind of like a you know hey it's it's my anniversary man let's go kick ass so <laughs> i had that going for him too so the, and everybody was with him and everybody was for him and the russians were just you know being driven by whips you know get to there before we can you know, so we can we can kill the enemy. You know, they weren't they weren't ready for that. Right. So he had a lot of things going for him, and that those are the those are the major reasons why he was able to just Okay. Well and stop and knock those guys right out.
0: Let me ask you this question. And I know that we talked about this before leading up to us putting this together, and Uh, I'm sure a lot of our Bitshoot audience is going to love to hear about it because we're going to talk about Jews and we're going to talk about specifically Jews and like the Napoleonic code and some of the things and how he was treating people from, let's say, you know, some of the uh, countries that like he installed his brother, uh, you know, in different, like it was king of Italy, for example. No, he took that title for himself. His brother was king of Spain.
1: He did. Yes, he um,
0: did. Like the, the, the word ghetto for example where right. we have we have a root we have the source of this stuff and perhaps you would like to uh impart on us and the five and a half people tuning in five and a half people. Is.
1: okay <laughs> i have a I have my actual note here somewhere uh, somewhere do 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 anyway um yeah so that original article was uh napoleon's a racist he's he's a bad guy he kills people that aren't like him listen that um in, in back uh, um well, let me just to just include ghetto but bring the whole arc of the of him and his jewish relations in yes okay so so back in 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 the 1790s when he was uh just the general for the french republic and kicking ass and taking names in in italy uh, the Italians were were uh, they were very oppressive against the Jews. And and of course in this new age of enlightenment after the French Revolution, he was like, know, you can't just put down these people because their religion happens to differ from yours. Mm-hmm. So he, um, everywhere he went he was like, you know, oh, we're Jewish. Oh, well, go ahead. Go do your Jewish thing. I don't care. I'm over here to Kick these Austrians out of Italy, you know? So he went along everywhere mm-hmm. he went. He would allow the Jews to practice openly, which was something they couldn't do in Italy. Um, uh, one thing I learned that I did not know was a Sanhedrin, a Sanhedrin. I can't, I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm not, I don't speak Yiddish, but it's a, it's like a, a I guess I would call it a presbus, which would be, I was grown, raised, uh, presbyterian and a presbyterian comes from the 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 Greek. You know, the presbyterian was all the men with the all the old long gray beards, and you get eight twenty old men with their beards, and there would be a presbyterian and they would use all their combined knowledge for the betterment of the of the, of the society. And the Sanhedrin was a, a council of about twenty to thirty Jewish leaders, and they would they would uh, solve legal disputes you know they'd, they'd come to a consensus and then that's and pretty cool over well they didn't have that until he re it uh, he went to Venice he didn't actually go into Venice but there's a, a home there or something it's called the Napoleon home the original root word for ghetto was to describe that portion of, of Venice that was uh, restricted portion where, where this is where if you're jewish that's where you're allowed to live and that's it nowhere else and it wasn't the nicest neighborhood and it was kind of run down and it was all one uh one ethnic one uh socioeconomic group's kind of home and it was the jews and so he started to you know coin that term oh look at these poor people they're stuck in this total ghetto and you know, I work in downtown Cleveland, and I use that term all the time now because I'm in Nowheresville, and it's uh, it's a wreck. There's all kinds of vacant homes and vacant lots, and and I think about uh, that term all the time because I can only imagine what it was like in 1800 because, mm-hmm. you know, they were very persecuted uh, back then. So uh, he did not have a lot of experience with, with Black people, but he had a lot of experience with with Jewish people. So when they did send him to, to Egypt, there's this great big island Malta. And on the way, they stopped in Malta, and Malta was run by this medieval organization called the Knights Templar. And, and the same thing. He kicked him out, started a, you know, a proper form of government that would follow the French model, and he, uh, he allowed the Jews to make a synagogue. People, the Jewish people had been living in Malta under the Knights Templar since, since like the 1200s. And he was like, yeah, you guys need a temple? Go build a temple. Who cares? Just go do it. So he totally had no problem with, uh, with um, other people and other religions. Because by the time he then goes to Egypt, it's a total Islamic state. And he's running around telling people oh Allah is great and I am his friend and take, take this pamphlet it's all written in Arabic thank you <laughs> so he he was very very tolerant of uh, uh, of people's religions and their societies and how they wanted to live their lives of course I, I heard also from the Napoleonic Society that there were some guys who thought like yeah of course he does he doesn't care about that he wants the, the you know he's got a mission he's got to conquer Egypt he's going to get gold he's going to get higher position he's you know he doesn't care about those things so mm-hmm. he either was very sensitive to it or he didn't care about those things either way uh people's religion and race and uh i could guess you could say by default skin color didn't really matter to him so very very uh interesting angle about that uh dynamic figure from history do you have other questions
0: yeah, of course. I have a couple here. Now, audience, obviously, is going to be familiar, including us as the, uh, the hosts of this, uh, of this show, of an organization called the Red Cross, okay? Oh, yeah. Um, we, work. We're, okay, well, I want to know, can you inform me as to how the Red Cross came about?
1: Ah, uh, we got to go back to our wonderful place, Italy, because there was a lot of fighting in Italy. let let me back up just a second because um napoleon another thing napoleon did when he was running around reorganizing people's governments and things um you know france was a state russia was a state great britain was a state spain was a state uh italy was just this little collection of provinces you know venice was its own state uh uh, the Kingdom of Two Sicilies, the boot of Italy and the island of Sicily, was a country mm-hmm. and the area around Rome was a country and and uh, when he claimed that he was king of of Italy, he kind of made it like a solid country and then um yes, he defeated the Austrians and the Russians at Austerlitz in the early eighteen hundreds. But by the time of the war of eighteen twelve he's got to get this coalition to go into russia to go and fight and watch watch way too many people die but but he makes like Wurttemberg, you know which is a state in germany today into a into a nation he makes saxony into a nation he makes westphalia into a nation he takes all these tiny little principalities think of countries like luxembourg you know like Mm -hmm. you know where are we going to go for dinner well we're just going to go into luxembourg and have dinner just he he (laughs) welded them into actual states with a common language and culture and such so those countries didn't become like germany didn't become a country until almost you know 1900 neither did italy but he, he made them into these little chunks that were like the, that are the present day states of germany so i'm sorry i'm I'm already drifting away from your question what was your what was your question again we're talking oh,
0: about
1: yeah. the oh, anyway. yes go yeah. ahead yeah 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 so so um so Since Italy is a fun place for the French to campaign, uh, you have to go to the 1850s after Napoleon to Napoleon III, who was uh, his uh, nephew. Mm -hmm. Once 1850, he became president of France, and he liked it so much that he caused a coup so he could be president for life, because that's the very Napoleonic thing to do, right? Just call yourself emperor and call it a day so he fought in northern italy against the austrians again they, they like to fight there i guess um and he sent an army and completely annihilated the austrians there um the the you know in the traditional napoleonic fashion just kick the crap out of everybody and then everybody sues for peace so there was this guy and he went so he was like, I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm going to go help. I'm, I'm a physician. I should help these people. There's going to be all kinds of injured people. and mean, well, his carriage broke a wheel. He missed his train. He didn't have money for cab fare something. He was a day late. And he was like, well, I'm going to go check it out. And he went and there was like 50,000 dead people just laying there. And he was just appalled. He was just like, I can't believe there's this much suffering in, in war. I can't believe there's this much trouble. And he goes, there's got to be earthquakes and, fires and flash floods and other wars that are just a complete disruption of absolutely everything and something must be done about it so he founded the uh the the red cross society and it was just an international society from the start that was just we're just going to have people undo all this damage these napoleon of the world are going to are going to cause so there's a there's a direct link between Napoleon and Napoleon's family and causing uh, the Red Cross to, to happen.
0: It's fascinating stuff. I'm sure a lot of people aren't aware of the historical roots of that organization. Now, I want to ask you now, of course, we talked about the triumph here, one of the biggest triumphs anyway, like we talked about Austerlitz, for example, yeah. um, the cultural impact of like the Rosetta Stone for uh, as another example. But I want to talk about how this, like the House of Cards, comes tumbling down a little bit around him. Now, there's, he's deposed once and then returns. Yes. What what can we, what do we know about what really led up to him getting ousted from power?
1: Well, the big thing was that War of 1812. Uh, So he said, like I said, uh, Britain was his greatest adversary because on the continent on on europe itself he ended up instilling you know uh like the state of italy was something that was under french control spain became something that was under french control belgium was like their neighbor and kind of halfway french anyway that was under their control half of those german states he made them into these it was called the confederation of the rhine westphalia uh uh Bavaria, you know. Uh he took little petty princes and elevated them to the level of king and gave them more territory. And and they were they were they would just do whatever he wanted. They were his little lapdogs. But he demanded soldiers for his army that way. Mm-hmm. So um even for a while there they conquered Prussia and he ended up uh ditching his uh his uh love Josephine and marrying the Austrian princess um Marie Louise So, even for a while, he was tied to Austria. So, what he wanted was this continental system. Uh, There would be a common currency. They would all, you know, go tell the Russians, we're all going to use the same calendar. Uh, (laughs) You know, the same unit of measure. Think of the prosperity of Europe. Think of how we can lift ourselves all up if we would just all be on the same page. And... There's a lot of people like that. It'll never work. This is an awful idea. And uh, and who's the biggest upsetter? Who's going to ruin this? It's going to be Great Britain. And what do we have today? We've got the European Union. There's all these weirdo countries. They all have to operate at a certain level to be accepted into the European Union. They all have a common currency. They all use the same calendar. And who's the upsetter trying to wreck everything? It's Britain. So that's the same story so it was really really hard for him to keep a clamp down on all of Europe and all keep them on the same page and in 1812 Russia was like no we're not doing it we'll do whatever we want so he got Italians he got Germans he got Frenchmen and um, sent them all into Russia to invade Russia, we'll just invade you next, is what they planned and uh, we all know how well that worked out because, like, an army of like half a million dudes marched into Russia, and they, and then it was fine, and they even took Moscow, and they destroyed tons of Moscow, and they fought this giant battle, and Napoleon claimed victory at the end of it, but it was just so costly; so many people died. But then it became winter in Russia, and when you're wearing a wool coat and you don't even have mittens, and you're supposed to fight off the Cossacks, that shit don't work too good. And so <laughs> they straggled back and barely made it back to Poland and Germany and stuff. And uh, it was like some kind of a switch had been thrown, like, we can defeat him. We can stop him. We can tell him, no, we're Germany, and we don't want to have French telling us what to do, or we are Austria, and we don't want to have the French telling us what to do. So it was that... War of 1812. It was that's when um who's the 1812 overture with the cannons? That's supposed to celebrate the Russians blowing the crap out of Napoleon. Mm. So that's that's when his his um the feathers started falling out of his his magical headdress there, you know? Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden it looked like they couldn't, it was it was like not he was just the most unconquerable foe that could not be stopped. Um, but however a cornered beast is real dangerous i think i was telling you the other day about the, the they were like well we've got to get rid of him now that he's hurt now that he doesn't have a huge army anymore now that he's lost tons of cannons and, and horses and stuff he really ran out of horses mm-hmm. uh, they were like let's let's attack him but then he just spun around and, and used all of his military while and would defeat armies so they said let's all let's all just glob together and we'll only attack him if all of us show up and i, I was telling you this one there was a, even a battle i want to say it dresden uh, i think where they were like hot damn we're almost all of us are here we should attack him and they were like i don't know i think we should wait for that other guy and his forty thousand guys and they were like no we should attack him now and napoleon just completely defeated them all and uh because again they they put half of their army on this side of a river and half of their army on that side of the river and he was like well no problem we'll just take care of this half first totally trounced them uh, then turned on the other half and launched a cannonball it took off like the king of austria's you know buddy's head and they were all covered with blood And they were like maybe we shouldn't have attacked the mastermind <laughs> of the age but <laughs> out. that's funny. so so when they finally fought him all the way back to france it was it was time to abdicate, and people uh, that were his steadfast allies stabbed him in the back, turned him over to the you know the enemies. Uh, just you know, they just they just gave up and cut and ran, and so he he had nothing else to do but but abdicate. Uh, so that's how he gave up the throne in the first instance, and then he was given Elba, which is an island off of Italy, told to go live there and he was going to grow mulberry trees because silkworms eat mulberry leaves and he was going to produce silk in europe that's what he was going to that's how he was going to retire didn't didn't like that shit at all <laughs> came back to france and that's what it was and, and he like landed in the south of france was like i have returned to the promised land and then everybody flocked to him cuz cuz of course france fell apart after he left but then everybody was uh, up in arms against him And then he marched off to Paris, and then from Paris straight up to Belgium, where he met uh, Arthur Wellesley. Remember that guy? He's now the Duke of Wellington, and he's going to come down with these British and Dutch soldiers while the Prussians come in from uh, the the East. Uh, And remember, I told you toy soldiers were going to be involved? Uh, There was, after Napoleon was defeated at Waterloo, there was this British guy who went around interviewing soldiers and asking them what they did and they were like oh yeah our our regiment was the greatest we totally stopped Napoleon right here on the map and then he'd go to this other regiment they'd be like oh we were the greatest we stopped Napoleon right here on this map and he would ask for donations so he could publish his story and uh and he built this model this like giant train setup thing of like a scale model of the battlefield and, and cast 100 little soldiers and painted them all and Glued them all on the table, and that was going to be a, a accurate depiction of what happened at the Battle of Waterloo. But since these guys had paid into his story, uh, he felt compelled to prove that yeah they, they were out in front. This guy he said they were out in front too, so that regiment gets more glory. And these guys say they you know captured him single handedly and punched him in the face, so we got to put them there because they all had paid into it. He owed them financially and you know kind of a favor so the model was completely inaccurate and dismissed at the time and and wellington completely did not like it either because it had left open the idea that these prussians came and mm. if there was anything that happened at waterloo it was napoleon was beaten by wellington and the british alone there was nothing the prussians did which is absolutely false the the, the, the they were counting at each other all day and they were just barely holding on, both the French and the British, and then the Prussians showed up and just attacked. And you know, uh, you know, if, if I'm coming at you this way, and someone comes this way, no good. So that's what the Prussians did, and then it just broke the back of the French army right then and there, and they and they all quit. And so, but that's not the story Wellington wants everyone to remember. He wants everyone to remember defeated the french he defeated napoleon and you asked how did napoleon was he able to keep everybody at arm's length how was he able to defeat everybody um after a battle he would say i did this and i did that and i figured out the other things and some of it was just a stroke of luck some of it was his idea like i said the march to the sound of the guns so he'd be duking it out with somebody right here and one of his own columns would come you know and mm-hmm. it was like, how did you masterfully plan this? He's, uh, I'd be, I told him, come with hear cannons, and it's a, uh, but I'm the master. I know what I'm doing. So there was even one battle where they were fighting the Prussians, and Napoleon was defeating the Prussians here, but it was just a small bunch of the Prussians. One of his generals was off on his own over here, fighting the whole Prussian army and barely managed to defeat them and, and, and get away. But since Prussians everywhere had been defeated, they just marched away we were like, that Napoleon's a genius. He totally kicked their ass. And then Napoleon came out and said, yes, that's right. I totally, all, that was all my plan. I did it on purpose. He said, yeah, that's how we were able to win. So he kind of would use his subordinates, you know, to, to, to great effect because he told them to march to the sound of the guns. He, he knew they would be able to stand up all by themselves and fight for a day if they needed to. But everything was his idea. Everything came from him. Everything was how he was going to do it, and when he crowned himself emperor and just ran everything, as soon as he was gone, France was was crippled without him. So, when when the cards the t- the house of cards fell apart, it really really fell apart for him. Yeah, oh, really- you have a glass of milk, JP? Yeah, sure. Do you want it? No, I I want to tell you about the part I told you about. I told you I was going to surprise you with a little factoid. That's
0: right. There was a surprise. And I demanded not to know when That's we initially right. spoke. So let's because go. Because I
1: kept it. Because, because you know, he's defeated at Waterloo. and He's set in exile. He goes way off to this teeny, tiny, rinky-dink little speck of an island in, in, in the middle of the Atlantic, halfway between Cuba and West Africa. Mm-hmm. Nobody goes there. Nothing's going on there. He's not leaving. Well, he, he dies there. Um, there's this fun book you might want to read, and it's called Napoleon's Privates. Uh, it doesn't talk about privates in the army. It talks about private parts because I was going
0: to ask that. I was like, "Is this privates or privates?" Oh,
1: well, it's private <laughs> because when he died, there was a surgeon who was there, who was a rather vengeful surgeon, and he cut off Napoleon's uh, privates. And smuggle them off the island by, with a chaplain of all people to go to Italy. Don't worry. The Napoleonic family had a blood feud with this guy's family, and he was killed for this. Uh, but this Napoleon's privates were bought by several merchants until they ended up being bought by a collector in New Jersey, for God's sake. And there's this guy in new jersey and he got to be incredibly old some like rare book collector and this and that and and he had like the little capsule of cyanide that herman goering talked himself oh, off wow with. he had all kinds of weird-ass collection but one of the things he had napoleon's dingus okay his dick so, and balls yeah so, <laughs> so when, when, when this guy died in 2007 or something And his family was like, what are we going to do with this thing? And someone was like, I'll give you $100,000 for it. They were like, oh, holy shit, this must be worth something. They went to the French government. They're like, can we get a genetic test on this thing? And they were like, no, absolutely not. We don't need goddamn Napoleon's penis running around. So we're not going to prove it. We're not going to disprove it. We're just not going to allow for any genetic testing. But uh, just like his penis, Napoleon's legacy is still with us still drawing interest, still commanding a high price, and, and there's all kinds of things that he did that uh that are still around that we still talk about we'd even talk about uh Napoleon the third and uh latin america and how the term Latin America was never a term until Napoleon III came along because he wanted France in Austria, those Southern Catholic countries to, to include their influence in South and Central America rather than the Anglo-American influence from Northern uh, Europe and North America. So the mm-hmm. Latin influence was going to influence uh, South and Central American uh, futures. So there's, there's all kinds of things that uh, if you take the thread of napoleon and start to pull it up you see where all these little threads go to uh simple things like when he marched into russia they were like how are we going to feed everybody we don't have anything i got it we'll take meat and we'll put it in a tin can and then we'll boil it and we'll make a little lid for it we'll have freaking spaghettios and meatballs for the troops so putting food in a tin can is a napoleonic idea so that's really cool i didn't know that interesting yeah we wouldn't have had that if it wasn't for a i mean it would have come along eventually i'm sure but that's a that's a napoleonic invention
0: one thing i want you to cl- to, to cover for us before we close out yeah. is the sword in south africa which i oh. find to be a phenomenal story
1: outstanding uh let's let's go back to that haiti guy real quick um uh those guys that he had sent to. Haiti. It was either send them there or send them to Louisiana. We only got so many guys we can send to the New World, mm-hmm. and they sent them to Haiti because Haiti was important. And he went to Jefferson and said, "I'll t- I'll tell you what. I'll sell you this Louisiana part over here because I'm going to keep Haiti instead." Mm. And so the Louisiana purchase is kind of from Napoleonic need to keep Haiti French. And so the big story is Napoleon's uh, argumentative, uh, you know, battle against slavery by trying to keep Haiti, French, actually doubled the amount of land in the South in the Americas. And that allowed slavery in in the South to expand into Louisiana, Missouri, Texas, you know, Arkansas, and it's a way bigger landmass than Haiti. So in a strange way, yes, Napoleon did contribute to slavery, but that's all on us because we're the Americans. But yeah, so that Napoleon was sent to uh, that island and he died, he had his penis cut off. We're all still trying to collect $100,000 so we can own it. Isn't that exciting? His <laughs> nephew goes off to become emperor of the French the second around in the 1850s. Uh, eventually he fights the Prussians that doesn't end well he gets deposed him and his family have to leave France as well they end up living in England where his son uh, Louis Napoleon uh, goes to college goes and joins uh, the military institute he learns to be an artillerist just like his great uncle the master of artillery isn't that great in the 1870s, the British are in, still in South Africa because you've still got to go around Africa to get to India. Mm-hmm. And this this giant nation of of, uh, of soldiers, uh, nation of like, they're like the, like the Spartans of South Africa, the Zulu nation. And uh, they go after them on some trumped up charges and start a war with them. It works so well for them that the British send in an army of like 1600 men and the Zulu army completely surrounds and annihilates them, like 200 people make it out. That's it. They just kill every single one of them. And the British, that was like the biggest modern defeat by a modern army by indigenous people ever. Um, the British get all upset about this and they send a whole ton of reinforcements and men and, and horses and guns down to South Africa. And this lewd Napoleon's like, send me too. This is great. I totally got to go. They don't want to send him. They're not going to send the heir of Napoleon's legacy to South Africa to die by some mud hut. He's like, oh, send me, send me, send. He asks Queen Victoria. She's like, yeah, why don't you send that boy on down there, do him some good, some fresh air. So he sent him down. Um, he's supposed to be guarded. He's supposed to be protected. He's only in a non-official capacity. He's not there to like man guns and shoot the enemy. But him and some guys go off on some mission to like sketch a route for that the army might want to go down by some mud huts and uh there's like six or seven of them and just when they're like okay we're done with our drawings and let's get on our horses and go back just when they all grab their saddles and go to get on their horses there's a crash of guns going off and, and all these these zulus with their shields and spears burst out of the bushes all covered in feathers and headdresses and start throwing spears at them and running at them and napoleon spins around um, he has his gun in his wrong hand and he's shooting and they, they're throwing this guy at him this throwing spear he picks one up and, and uh by the time the other british guys look back he's surrounded by like 30 guys and they just kill him they just stab him to death right there and they carry off his sword and it's not his sword it's uh it's his great uncle's ceremonial sword that he would wear everywhere it's Napoleon's uh, gold encased sword. And eventually the, the British start to win in South Africa and there's too many of them and they bring their Gatling guns down and boy, oh boy, they just more killing. Isn't this great? So they, they finally subdue the, uh, the Zulus and the Zulus are like, maybe we should ask for peace. Let's send them that cool, fancy jeweled sword back and see if they accept that. We'll grant peace for us. But no, they 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 take things sort of back to say thank you with it belongs of some French guys, we got to give it back to them. But uh, we're still gonna kill you all. So they they go and they wipe out the, the Zulus and subdue them, and Zululand is still now part of South Africa. And uh, Louis Napoleon is still, there's a he was taken back, he's buried in Cambridge or somewhere weird, but they they there's a, a big stone monument to where he fell in 1870s, 1860s. And that's where the Napoleonic influence ends, because there are no more heirs, no more Napoleons to go out there and become artillery officers or try to take over France anymore. So there you go.
0: Yeah, no, that, was, that was great. Uh, I'm sure a lot of us didn't know uh, the majority of that information. Right? I, I didn't. I, I found it very uh, educational. I had no idea
1: yeah no. uh, that was very cool yeah we just didn't have time to go off and we talked about last time jp we talked about voltea the, yeah when he was did. Italy. he uh he had his uh he had this guy voltea and voltea was like if we put a layer of of uh, of, uh lead and then some brine soaked cotton and then lead in a row and then put wires to it that produces an electrical charge we can make electricity he made a battery and uh napoleon became a you know, a proponent for Voltea to to you know investigate electricity, and and he he would like put wires to like frog legs, and the frog legs would pop out because they were getting a jolt of electricity, and they were like, "This is an animal electricity." So we wouldn't have had. That's eighteen hundred, the eighteen forty. Is that when Mary Shelley writes Frankenstein? Yeah, it's around then. Oh yeah, so we don't we don't have this kind of fun stuff if we don't have a. Napoleon, And then uh, Napoleon III in the 1850s, he's emperor of the French. So he institutes the Voltaire Award for people that experiment with electricity. And who wins like the fourth one they ever give? Alexander Graham Bell. He's like, oh, this American guy made this phone thing. Isn't that something else? We should reward him (laughs) with this monetary award. And He goes on to start Bell Laboratories. What is it? Western Electric? Mm -hmm. And then AT&T? that's that was founded and started because of napoleon money so there's a there's a million different weirdo ways that napoleons bring their weight of history into all the shit we do today
0: it's fascinating i I love every minute of it i think it's i think it's great um i am truly grateful for you to come on and impart this uh information with us it definitely gives a no Much problem. broader picture, you know. We get a panoramic instead of the Polaroid. You know, we get the whole more of the whole story, which I think is important to at least formulate an opinion on someone who's considered rather controversial even to this day. But um, anybody yes. that can, uh, you know, t- I mean, you have to give credit where credit is due, uh, and uh, including up to the Napoleonic Code, which is still used to this day. Uh, I yes. think it's uh, pretty rad. We uh, we definitely European appreciate you. Union. European Union is still there right now. Yeah, that's true. Yep, that's true. Very much so. Yep, except minus Great Britain, as expected. Um, <laughs> with their sausage finger king, fucking yeah. everything. <laughs> it's it, truly.
1: Freaking weirdos. Hey, listen,
0: guys, I want everybody to know this. If you got a side piece who's giving you a hard time, just know that there is hope for you because his side piece is now the queen of Great Britain. Ladies, don't give up just <laughs> yet
1: excellent wow god bless (laughs) you know you know i was reading a little bit more about the the zulu war uh one thing they did not have with them the british uh that probably would have saved them a lot they didn't have a lot of gay soap with them did you know that (sighs) it
0: is (laughs) it is a lasting tragedy um that there wasn't enough can i get paid in gay soap uh, yeah, we, we have a uh, we have a stockpile of gay soap. It's a small stockpile, but it still exists. Um, I'll have to get on top. My ass is big. I need a lot of soap. I know. And you and <laughs> Team Mandalore out there on the bike, you definitely need that gay soap mm-hmm. for sure. But don't worry. We're going to get to gay soap in just a minute. But first awesome. and foremost... I knew we would.
1: It's one of my yes. favorite courses of the program.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's more Christopher's doing than mine. But thank you. Um, in conclusion... Dave, thank you very much for coming on and uh, giving us the spotlight on a massive
1: history, uh, you know. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, we could we could probably chat for hours, no question about it. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Angel and then Christopher, if you have anything, please uh, plug away here. Oh, I just want to thank Dave for coming on. Like I said, it was very educational and you know i guess i'll do a stereotypical question is was he really short
1: was napoleon really short did he have short yeah oh syndrome? guess what uh, part of the thing about his privates was um they even had uh he had a lot of mistresses and they had even like dug into like reports from his mistresses that he wasn't all that in in the, in the boudoir because he uh was um minimally minimally supplied oh. in the gentleman's oh. department. So. You know, it might have shrank a little because it dried out and they have it in a box somewhere, but it was definitely, if you ask the right people, smaller than than uh, usual to begin with. And uh, yes, he was a very short-statured man, but he commanded a presence. That was another thing he did when he first came to France and tried to, you know, they had a room full of guys and they're like, these are the, our generals and they're going to... Um, you know, they're going to save France. And he came in and he took his hat off and then he looked at everyone else in the room and they all had their hats on and he would just stare at them and they'd get self-conscious and take their hat off too. And then he'd stare <laughs> at the guy and that guy would, and until he had made them all take their hats off and he was like, I approve. And then they, so they would just, they would just listen to him for that. And, and, and he would, uh, he would, he would, if he had favorites, he'd tug on their ear and he was uh, very, very capable of remembering people so he was very physically short but um but yes he would he would be riding along and he'd recognize some you know a, a private you know or just some sergeant and mm-hmm. just be like you know you're going to have to behave like you did in italy and they'd be like yes sir and so everybody everybody idolized him but all those men were killed in russia and spain or in haiti and so he eventually ran out of of dudes but yes, he was definitely not that tall of an individual, but his commanding presence when he came in the room, all eyes, you know, just he had a way about him that that worked. Good stuff.
0: Good stuff. Um, do you have anything else, Angel? It was turn over to Christopher. No, that's it. All right. Christopher, my dear friend, anything from you today at all? Bit shoot. I, I forgot, forgot to about check it. I said
1: I'm Shoot angel forgot it i finally get my opportunity to steal that spotlight from her that's right yep uh, forgot my, ad, my admin privileges have been revoked
0: <laughs> fucking revoked, <laughs>
1: revoked. You're, you're a broken record man but you're right you're absolutely right he, he drops the ball every time god damn it, jp <laughs> yeah
0: and uh
1: right. th- thank you thank you dave uh, uh i recognize that every every time and every show you're just right there and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to learn about Napoleon's now French peepee jerky. Uh, <laughs> we, we can have a we can have a used guys uh, uh, trip to New Jersey or something exciting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know what? That would be fun. N- you know, you run up to people and be like, "We're looking for Napoleon's penis." <laughs> <laughs> it's have some gay soap. <laughs> <laughs> throw it at them
0: yeah and then take Ugh. the penis um knock them out with the gay soap and then take the dick that's that's how we run <laughs> um, it
1: and it's a it's a hundred thousand dollars they were offered
0: and yeah it's a felony that's a felony imagine getting rung
1: up in court we'd have to flee to haiti with it <laughs> we would we would they definitely would oh, talk it. about pat robertson in 2010 uh the, oh the, yeah they deserve everything they're getting because pat robertson said they sold their soul to the devil and became a voodoo nation in an effort to kick out Napoleon. Hmm. So, everything's caused by Napoleon. Yeah.
0: Pat Robertson is a national disgrace. 100%. Yes. Douchebag. Um, the 700 Club can kiss my ass. Uh, not a fan. We, we, we could make a new,
1: like, Ocean's Eleven heist film about stealing the pee jerky. <laughs> That's true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to hide it in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> gobble them <Yeah>. balls, baby. <laughs> and, then, and then there were
1: 10. And then there were nine.
0: <laughs> Right, exactly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. i got a great time here. Again, thank you to our guest, Dave, for coming on. And of course, this is our time to thank our patrons. God bless we love you very much uh don't forget if you want to join up it's two bucks a month that's it and it goes towards paying them bills here at the show and they are there but we are working on it thanks to the help of the people who believe in the program i also like to thank our sponsors of course the i'd also like to thank ray faba fine art and design from the great lakes i also like to thank team mandalore who keeps cycling very weird and of course i paint akron where all accidents are happy accidents but ladies and gentlemen the anticipated part of the show, I need to talk to you about your asshole health. Mother's Day, okay? Mother's Day is coming gone. You've probably disappointed mom again with how bad you smell. You're at the barbecue. Maybe you took her out for Chinese food, and she had to sit on the other side of the table because you smell like shit. You didn't wash properly. You didn't take care of the largest organ on your body, which is your skin. However, guess what? Independence Day comes after Memorial Day. Don't let Memorial Day be a day of sorrowful remembrance of how much you fucked up okay let memorial day be the catalyst to get ready for independence day independence day in the united states of america declare independence from stink from sweat from ball vinegar from all the disgusting things that happen in your dung ditch in your fat folds maybe your belly button under boob all that good stuff your hairy disgusting back Todd's gay soap can solve all these problems. Todd's gay soap is medicated. Medicated to destroy the stink on your ass and all parts of your body. Please check it out, Akron Apothecary. Todd needs your money because he got a new fucking truck that he had to tell me about over and over again, so he's got to pay them bills, and Greg's had enough of his shit, and if he hasn't, he sure fucking has to. He should have had enough of his shit years ago, but yet here we are, and they're still together, <laughs> and Greg is picking up the bag, so help my friend Greg out because Todd... He needs help. Okay. Todd spends a lot of money like shiny shit, but Todd's gay soap is so
1: full. Oh, that is. And it's the world's number one and most doctor recommended pussy blasting gay soap. <laughs> All right. Everything else. I'll see everybody later. Okay. Bye. <laughs> bye.